and welcome to Action for Nature. In this episode, we're exploring choosing better for nature. So what do we mean by choosing better for nature? To sustain our current lifestyles, we end up consuming without awareness of how the production process impacts workers, the natural world, and therefore humanity. By choosing to switch to alternative products that showcase their environmental and ethical credentials, we can support companies and organizations with their efforts. Our consumer choices can protect wildlife, land, and respect all people involved in the production process, both directly and indirectly. We are seeing powerful shifts as people switch to more sustainable products and services and support a nature-friendly economy, inspiring changes in our industries. In this episode, we're going to focus in on one element of choosing better, plastics. You'll hear from experts working to create alternatives and reduce single-use plastics. You've probably heard of microplastics. They're everywhere, but mostly invisible. They feature in items we might not even realise, shedding from our clothes and our cosmetics like toothpaste, shower gel, sunscreen, and draining into the sea, into the fish that we eat. They're even in paint. If you're painting a floor, the paint is designed to grip well, and so we use plastic microbeads. I learned this from Kieran Callahan. He's a PhD student at University of Bath researching biodegradable microbeads. He's looking at how we can use different biodegradable materials to replace the oil-derived plastics that we use every day. So when you're talking about those traditional plastics, you're looking at these sort of long molecules that are derived from oil. So we take the oil out of the ground, we process it with quite a bit of energy, and then we can do what we want with it. And it's a very clean science. We can do a lot with it with a very low energy. The problem is these products do not biodegrade. So if they end up in landfill, if they end up in the ocean, if they end up in a marine environment, they're going to be there for a long, long time. Plastics aren't all that bad. We use them in some very great applications. We use them for hip replacements. We use them for important packaging and computer components. But we also use them in areas that we don't need to, primarily single-use plastics for food packaging, for films, for bags. And although these durable kind of properties are very useful for us, day to day, we can definitely do this better with biodegradable materials. So let's look at the alternative to that, which is using, let's say, cellulose, which comes from trees, which comes from bacteria. We have some very easy ways from reclaiming this. We can then take that, process it, and make a paper bag out of it in place of a plastic bag. Now, a plastic bag would be fantastic because it's durable and waterproof if we used it multiple times. But by and large, the research shows that we don't use it multiple times. By using the paper bag, we know we have something that can then break down. It can be broken down by the environment, by let's say just being in the sea for a long time and it breaks down chemically. It can be broken down bacterially. So you've probably seen that when you see mold growing on a paper, wet paper bag. So it's this kind of advantage, this lack of longevity with the biodegradable materials, which is quite useful. Now, if we can start tuning these so that they last longer, happy days. We now have something that's a perfect replacement to the plastics and we can keep these limited resources of oils for the important, non-reactive, long-lasting, durable items we need. So people are looking at different sort of sources for plastics or plastic sort of materials. So waste sources are ideal. Zine, for example, is something that's coming through recently. And not too many people are familiar with it, but it's a protein that comes from the spent grains that are used in distillation. So for producing ethanol. 
And by and large, it's something that just gets thrown out to cattle meal. Now, as you know, there's, there's eventually going to be a global reduction in the amount of cattle we have. I mean, there has to be at some point. And this spent material is actually quite useful. It's quite malleable. It's, it can be used as a film packaging. It can be used in food production. Very, very versatile. But it's still at a very early stage where not a lot of researchers are very familiar with it. And there are huge amounts of these out there, these waste sources we've yet to valorize, which is quite interesting. But that one's really tickled me because it's not useful as a food source. And up until now, it was pretty much seen as a, a throwaway item. Now we have something that can be dissolved in very benign solvents. It's soluble in ethanol, which is a pretty green solvent as they go. So to see that now used in the future would be absolutely fantastic. So the UK was one of the first countries in the world to put the money where the mouth was, so to speak. The use of sort of single-use disposable microbeads was completely banned, and that was fantastic. And a lot of other countries have followed suit from the UK just coming out and saying, no, not in the UK. But the legislation only really came about because so many people, particularly in the UK, stood up and said, no. So you had bigger companies, let's say Lush. Lush were a great one. They came out and said, hey, you know, we're not going to use this in our products anymore. A lot of other companies then followed suit. And... That was almost like a very Adam Smith, the invisible hand of the market speaking. When a lot of people spoke up on Twitter and refused to buy the products, and when a lot of shops refused to stock them, all of a sudden the market responded in a very positive way. And that was fantastic. And in a way, the action to ban the microbeads came about by public pressure before the legislation had a chance to really have a meaningful impact. So I think if we can correlate and get people together again to sort of start saying, okay, well, Let's look at further afield at other microplastics where we're using them, let's say the paints, the paint industry or whatnot. We can really push it out there and really kill off the use of plastic microbeads or, you know, plastics in general. It's just, a, it's just a case of how do we get the public behind the concept of, okay, let's just get rid of plastic bags altogether. Or let's really shame people who, you know, dispose of plastics willy-nilly. I can kind of identify with members of the public who turn around and say, well, how do I know if this is recyclable or not? Because sometimes you see things are phrased in a very funny way in advertising in general and in packaging. So it might say this is compostable, but it mightn't mention that we don't have the types of composters in the UK that can deal with, let's say, PLA. You see this with biodegradable cups quite a bit in festivals or in other events where these cups are handed out and it says compostable on it. And you can you drink from that with a, a clear conscience, you know, this is not polystyrene, this is going to go back into the earth, but it doesn't happen. I think one great way is that there's a number of very good resources out there. And funnily enough, a lot of them are based around Wikipedia. Wikipedia has a number of really good articles on identifying recyclable waste. It's almost as if it was written by the Campaign for Plain English, you know, very sensible, very straightforward. And I would really encourage anyone who has even a shred of interest in finding out what sort of plastics they can buy and recycle definitely take a look at sort of just going through recycling Wikipedia it can be a really, really educational kind of step towards deciding in future what you're going to buy or how you're going to recycle or even what isn't recyclable. I think one positive thing to take away from all of this is that if we continue to push towards using more biodegradable materials over the sort of oil derived materials we've been using for the past 50 years, it might get to a point where what we're producing today won't be around sitting on the seabed in 10 years we'll actually have a fully sort of circular economy where the parts that we're using and the disposable materials we use end up back in the earth and reused eventually over and over again in a more sustainable way. Mm -hmm.
Like microplastics, the air we breathe is invisible. Research fellow Ben Williams works at the Air Quality Management Resource Centre at University of the West of England. He translates science into policies to improve air quality. With a background in environmental forensics, he calls his work being an environmental detective. It's about putting pollutants under the magnifying glass. He says he's really interested in the obscure pollutants, bioaerosols, bacteria and fungi, and the airborne DNA that wildlife conservationists can use to identify whether species are present without disturbing them. Ben talks to us about airborne microplastics. If we think about the airborne microplastics dimension, the really practical perspective of this is that, first of all, we don't know much about airborne microplastics. We see the impacts that they have in the marine environment, just plastics in themselves and microplastics as well. But we don't really think about them in the air. So first of all, we need to measure that. We need to understand their presence in the air. And if we can do that, we can understand how we are exposed to them. So are we breathing them in? Do they then have a health impact on us? And if we can understand that, then the potential is that we can then start to regulate the presence and the generation of these types of plastics and thinking about airborne DNA is slightly something different from a conservation perspective that may help identify cryptic species, a species that we don't often see in the day or in the night or the camera traps are not really good at identifying. If we can gather DNA from places we think they exist, then it can help with conservation as well. So we can um, prioritize protection for specific species. If you think about plastics, they're all around us. You can look around yourself now. You'll see them. You'll see tables made out of them. You'll see carpets made out of them. I'm wearing something plastic now, which is a normal jumper, but lots of jumpers are synthetic plastic in origin. And just to give you an example of plastic in general, it's thought that about 8 million pieces of plastic pollution find their way into our oceans every single day. And about 12 million tons of plastic in a year. So these are really big numbers. Scientists have found plastic in ice in the Arctic, and there's about 5.2 trillion macro and microplastics around the globe in the oceans. So you can see that it's an enormous problem, and it does contribute to really big numbers of deaths to marine mammals and birds as well as they eat and get tangled in these different types of plastic. So plastic in general is is a burden on our environment and it's something that we need to to get a grip of really if we think of microplastics the smaller animals will be eating microplastics in the same way as bigger animals eat the bigger plastics and the smaller ones but they'll have effects on these smaller creatures as well so what we've done and what others have started to do as well is to try and find them first of all where are they and Colleagues in Scotland have done studies where they've identified microplastics in really pristine environments where they could only have got there by air. So, for example, in the Pyrenees, in pristine environments in the Pyrenees, in the Arctic, they found airborne microplastics that have been deposited in those regions. So from those two pristine regions that are well out of reach of human habitation, there are microplastics being deposited from the air. And if that's the case, how much of them are there in cities and how much of them are we exposed to on a day-to-day basis? If we think from the water perspective, 
a lot of studies have been designed around identifying sources of the, the microplastics into the marine environment. And one of the largest sources is from the washing of our clothes. So our clothes are made up of small bits of fibre. And these fibres, every time we wash them and wear them, will break down. So in a wash, you can release several thousand bits of microplastic per piece of clothing every single wash into the into the waste stream and that goes into wastewater treatment facilities and then you often have releases from them essentially they haven't necessarily been designed to be able to capture really 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 small particles so then you get washed out into rivers and then carries on into the oceans and similarly if we think about airborne microplastics obviously they're not necessarily generated through washing and released into the air but as we walk around on a day-to-day -day basis wind is blowing against us our materials are well, the fibres are quite loose in our clothing. So if you looked at your sleeve now, you'd be able to see fibres sticking up and you only need abrasion from us moving our arms around ourselves or the wind blowing against us to release them. So there's a couple of ways that we can help. The first way is to be aware, to be aware of microplastics as an issue, both plastics and microplastics as an issue on both the marine environment and potentially on us. Thinking about how we adapt to our environment essentially so thinking about our clothing do we need to be wearing hundreds of different items of clothing all year or is it easier to wear x number of clothing instead of buying less so there's less generated in the first instance and if people wanted to right now look at the microplastics present in their home what they could do is just leave a little white cap out or a saucer out on the top of their shelves leave it there for a couple of weeks and go back and have a look and what they will see are bits of dust and they'll see fibres. Some of that will be natural, some of that will be synthetic plastics. As well as plastic floating through our air, it makes its way into our oceans. If you've visited a beach, you've probably seen a layer of plastic washed up on the shore. Plastic bags, bottles, fishing nets, nappies, and the forgotten remains of someone's beach day swept out to sea. At least 8 million tonnes of plastic end up in our oceans every year. Our rubbish is dragged along sea currents and it disrupts marine ecosystems. We can see this impact on coastal wildlife, where it's common to walk along the beach and find animals entangled or worse by ingesting our pollution. Jack Middleton noticed this. He's the community and events manager for Surfers Against Sewage, the initiative formed by a group of surfers in 1990 who were sick of getting sick from being in the ocean. They rallied the local community, gathering wider support and challenged the government to enforce change that is bringing about better water quality. Surfers Against Sewage is creating ocean activists everywhere for a thriving ocean and thriving people. Due to growing awareness from the public, in more recent years their focus has been on plastic pollution. Jack speaks about the people-powered Million Mile Clean campaign, which we can all get involved with. The idea behind the Million Mile Clean in its most simple sense is to get 100,000 volunteers to commit to cleaning 10 miles of blue or green space through 2021. But it's much wider than that. It's about reconnecting these individuals with the community and with the environment and really pushing the plastic pollution back to the top of the agenda and giving back to, to, to an environment that for a lot of us, you know, has been our solace in this hard time. From a personal point of view, I know that going to the beach um, and surfing has kept me sane over the last year and a half. 
And it wouldn't be right to have taken so much from the environment and not given back. So we're issuing a rallying cry for people right across the UK. So it doesn't have to be beaches. You know, we're covering beaches, streets, rivers, streams and mountains to organise their clean with us. You know, get the free equipment that, that we're providing, get out there into their blue and green spaces and make a difference. And we feel that that community movement, movement that 100,000 volunteers is a community movement that, that cannot be ignored. So the Million Mile Clean is lasting the entire year. And as I said, we'll see a hundred, well, over, we're hoping 100,000 volunteers getting involved, but we'll also be running citizen science projects. So alongside the usual ask of uh, doing the thing itself, you know, you know, being out there and picking up everything that you see that shouldn't be there. So plastics, metals, that sort of thing. We're asking people to record the types of plastic and packaging pollution they're seeing and the parent companies responsible for them. So your Coca-Colas, PepsiCo's. We know that the companies aren't directly responsible for their products ending up on the beach or in the environment, but there's a lot more that they could do to stop that happening. You know, there's sort of the extended producer responsibility. So when they create these products, what's the end of life solution? Are they thinking far enough ahead? They're supporting things like the deposit return scheme. So for drinks containers to be returned for, for a small amount of money back. And there's just the general reduction in single use plastics. And we found that through this campaign, through the brand audit and through the beach cleans, we're creating this this sort of perfect collection of data and people movement that will see real change, you know. So the brand audit will challenge industry, so big business, to do better. The 100,000 voices will challenge the government to do better, to legislate, to bring in things like DRS. And then the, the beach kings themselves will have a knock-on effect within every community where they're taking place that will educate and, and raise awareness for the people. So it's kind of the three pillars to bring about real change in, in this argument are people. And, you know, we're not saying people are innocent. There are people that are dropping the, the plastic and, and the packaging pollution, obviously. There are also people trying to do the right thing, whether it's recycling or landfill, where the system is flawed. Industry, and we need to bring about big change in industry with reduction being the key message that we're sharing. And then the government itself, you know, we need to challenge them to do more, to give the environment bill teeth, to, to bring in the legislation to protect our environment. And we think that through the Million Mile Clean, all of these areas are targeted while also boosting the, the mental and physical health and well-being of everyone that gets involved. Life has become so fast paced and sort of active. Everyone is so busy. You know, they, they need to be places. They need to, to do things as quickly as possible. And single use plastic has kind of become synonymous with this, you know. So I'm too busy to, to wake up early and to prepare my lunch. I'll grab something on the go. Inevitably, it comes in a single use container. It comes with single use cutlery. And these items, if you think sort of multiplied across the population of the UK and wider that use them every day, are, are a global issue. You know, the bin for structure at the moment isn't there. Recycling is flawed and isn't working. Landfill is flawed and isn't working. And for a cup to be put in a bin, or, or as we see here in, in you know, a tourist hotspot like Newquay, to be put beside a bin because the bins are too full, it's so easy for that to be, to be blown into a river, to be blown into a stream and then end up in the sea or to be blown straight into the sea itself. What we're calling for on what are campaigns like plastic free schools, obviously with primary and secondary schools and plastic free communities with with the wider sort of adult population. What they're trying to do is educate people as to how easy it is to make simple changes in your life to vastly reduce your reliance on single use plastic 
and then do the same throughout your entire community. So on a person, personal level, we can do things like have a reusable water bottle with us, have reusable coffee cups, you know, take bamboo cutlery. And I think it is starting to become more progressive and sort of cooler, um, which is a good sign. But we're also giving people steps to, to make change sort of more widely known. So they've made the changes themselves. How do they do the next step? And our Plastic Free Communities program has five easy to achieve objectives that will see the wider community affected. So, you know, it's, it's going to local businesses and, and talking to them because sometimes it's, it's simply about education. You know, for a local business, they want to make money. That, that, that's the point of them. And sometimes they don't know that actually the demand is there to support these, these alternatives. And sadly, for the most part, some of the, you know, the alternatives uh, are more expensive than, than single use in terms of finances, obviously not the, the global effect they have. But if enough people want them and are willing to pay a little bit more for them, you know, the, the business has got a great business model to spend more on their supplies so that they can have a positive impact. Because we're calling for, for such an ambitious target, 100,000 people and a million miles, we wanted to make it as easy as possible. So we've created a brand new website purely for the Million Mile Beach Clean. Uh, it's www.beachcleans.org.uk. So there's, there's three pages. The first is how to organize a clean. And we've got every step necessary. We've got risk assessments and public liability insurance for people to organize a clean either for themselves or for a group from six people right the way through to over 30 people. And we provide all the equipment for that for free. So bags, reusable gloves, hand sanitizer, litter pickers, that sort of thing. We've also got an interactive map where people can see cleans coming up in their area and join them. So, you know, you'll see what's in your local area. Most of the time there'll be a Facebook event page so you can find out more information. Then you just need to turn up and get stuck in. And finally, mini cleans. So mini beach, river, street or mountain cleans that, that don't really necessarily need that, you know, level of insurance or, or risk assessment. They're just about when I'm doing a walk, I'll pick up a handful of, of plastic or packaging pollution. So head to the website for, for the easiest way to get involved with beach cleans. We've also created different websites for plastic free communities. Again, giving as much information about the, the project and how to get involved and plastic free schools. And they can all be found through our main website, which is sas.org.uk. Jack spoke about real change, about the responsibility of people, industries and our government. It's important that we remember this shared responsibility as we embark on shifting our consumer habits and our relationship with plastic. We can each make adjustments in our lives and together we have the strength to make systemic change. We are all valuable and needed in this movement. Whether you're researching, campaigning for industry and policy change, or you're keeping nature clean, you are powerful. Our actions have oceanic ripples. If our individual choices are raindrops, then together we're creating a storm. You've been listening to the Choose Better episode of Actions for Nature. The guest speakers were Kieran Callahan, Jack Middleton and Ben Williams. The podcast was narrated by Ella Trudgeon and edited by Keziah Wenham Kenyon. And the music was produced by Ketza. Brought to you by Bristol Natural History Consortium. You can check out the rest of the Festival of Nature celebrations by heading to www.festivalofnature.org.uk or by following the hashtag Fest of Nature 21.